0: The reading is from Isaiah 8, starting at verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. "'Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. "'When they are famished, they will become enraged, "'and looking upward, will curse their king and their God. "'Then they will look toward the earth "'and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, "'and they will be thrust into utter darkness. "'Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom "'for those who are in distress.'" In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
1: The second reading is in Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and it's on page 828 of your church Bible. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief and priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Here ends the reading.
2: Well, good morning, guys. I think we had this problem last week. Thanks very much, Christian those lights, please. Yeah, We'll pray that they'll be Guys, let's bow our heads. Thanks. Thank you, Lord, for the grace you give us, for the food you give us each day, not only to nourish our body, but to nourish our souls, Lord. And so we thank you in faith that you'll nourish our souls yet again this morning through the truth and power of your word. Amen. Guys, could you leave your Bibles open to Isaiah 8? There's there's a battle you face when you're a minister. A lot of battles we face. I'm not here to pour my heart out. But one battle that I've found for a few years is to teach the Christmas story and the Easter story in a fresh way. Because it's the same story every year. Now, it's not a bad story. It's a brilliant story. But the repetitiveness of the seasons... Um, becomes dull to the soul. So what I've tried to do, and uh, please tell me if I succeed, please don't tell me if I don't succeed. What I've attempted to do is look at uh, the Christmas season, which we start today for the next four weeks, From, from with a different sort of lens applied to the, to the Christmas narrative. So today we're looking at the boom from the gloom, which is from the Old Testament, it's Isaiah 8 and 9. Now, it's probably not usual you've heard a Christmas message from Isaiah. Would that be true? I hope so, so it should be boring for you either. So this week we're looking at the boom from the gloom. Next week we're looking at the titles of Christmas, which is the second half of, chapter, the second half of today's reading, but the start of chapter 9. Then after that we're going to look at the soul of Christmas, and then finally, we're going to look at when Christmas stops. Have you ever thought about what's going to happen when Christmas stops? Something to, 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 to puzzle on over the next three or three, four weeks. So, have your Bibles open here at um, Isaiah eight. Now, I don't know who divided the Bible up into into its chapters and verses. Some priest somewhere in a monastery, I don't doubt. Now, I don't know their reasoning, because they got chapter 9 here right in the middle of a flow of thought. I would have thought you'd put the the chapter divisions where the topic's changing, not in the middle of the topic. So what I've done is decided to pick the the message up today from verse 19 to chapter 8 and go through to verse 7 of chapter 9. The reason being, it's the flow of thought so if we can remove from our, um, our thinking that this uh, chapter 9 is the start of a new place, it's not, and then we'll start to grasp the flow of the thinking through this passage. Now the Israelites, they were living in fear, as this is written. They were yet to learn that in yielding to fear, instead of living by faith, no good can come. That's what the Lord calls us to do, is to live by faith, not by fear. Doesn't he? Yeah. But these Israelites were were being surrounded by enemy and they turned to mediums and spirits for guidance. They were filled with fear because the marauding nations nearby. They sought counsel from liars, from evil. They did not seek counsel from the Lord. Now this is a call for all of us. This is a call to choose life, to be in the world and not of the world to get our information from that which is true, not our information from that which is false, which is darkness. The counsel Israel chose was to listen to the prevailing common thinking. There's nothing new under the sun. Can we have the next slide? Thanks. Now, life coaching was around in the 90s, wasn't it? Do you remember life coaching? It's some new secular idea of how to get better. And so you go to your life coach and he solves your problems and gives you the directions to make you rich and prosperous and save your marriage or break your marriage, whatever you're after, you know. Here's his life coach. Now that's what these guys were seeking. This is what the Israelites were seeking. They, they, want, they went to consult mediums and spirits, spiritists who whisper and mutter. That's what the nations around them were doing. That's what they decided to do to work out how to get away from the problems they had. Now, either wittingly or unwittingly, they looked for guidance in what were their life coaches. Now, we go to life coaches in times of deeper hardship where we can't solve the problems of that hardship. Theoretically, that's one of the reasons why life coaches exist. Someone here has been successful at life so they can teach me success for my life. Well, it's often the hardship that drives us to find the help. Because while life is going well, we don't need to find help. It's the hardship that drives us to the knees and cries out to the Lord for help, or drives us to Google to find the next life coach. Normally something like that happens when there's hardship around. There are answers we all hunger for and it's these answers we all seek from other people. So what I've got here today for all of us who hunger for answers is an unusual passage to teach from for Scripture, uh, for for Christmas, an um, unusual Scripture passage for Christmas. Now, can anybody give me an indicator? Have you heard of a Christmas message from Isaiah 8 before? Okay so we kicked one goal that's good. This passage calls for life for life's sake to not hide in lies for there for hiding in lies there is only heartache and injury and indeed captivity. The call has been uh, always the call to God's people to be in the world and not of the world. Now this is talking about 750 BC circa 750 BC where they were in the world and of the world because they sought the world's uh, wisdom or lack thereof. Israel was in darkness, deep darkness, and therefore distress must come. Where there's darkness, distress comes because you can't see what's around you, so fear takes over. And Israel will soon be judged. Sin does not travel about and and can become ignored by God. God sees our hearts; He sees the sin. Now, circa 740 BC, the kings that attacked um, the northern kingdom: Tiglath-Pileser the third, I think all these names were chosen for, for preachers, just for us to practice our diction. And after Tiglath-Pileser came Shalmaneser the fifth. I'm glad we didn't have to use the first five times of his name though, Shalmaneser, and they conquered Israel. And then the last of the Israelites were finally taken into captivity 722 BC by Sargon the 11th. Now, Sargon's a bit easier to say, isn't it? Maybe I should have just left it at that. But there's a a flow of history here, a flow of God's judgment that took about 20 years to make... uh, Complete. Now, please note that the Israelites had thought they could live with leaving God out when they did that by consulting spirit mediums and spiritists. Please note Numbers 32 20, 23 Be sure your sins shall find you out. My dear old mum taught me that many, many times. Be sure your sins will find you out. Judgments await, it will catch up with you. So these guys the Israelites, they sought a new life coach. But this coach couldn't give life. They only ended up in more distress and in more darkness. So can I ask, is that a rookie error that they've, um, they've made? They've gone to the wrong place so we can excuse them? Rookie errors always get you off the hook. You can't use that excuse all the time. But was this a rookie error of Israel? I don't think it was. They'd already been freed from Egypt. They'd already crossed the desert. Uh, They'd already moved into the the Promised Land. They'd already eaten manna from heaven. They'd had great signs of God's care for them. And still they go to mediums and spiritists rather than look at history. So the first point I want to make today, there's only two points, I hope that encourages you, is ancient voices are still in the modern world. Mediums mutter and spiritists whisper. Isaiah writes, people enquire of the dead from the land of the living. Now there's an automatic in my mind th- sort of thinking dichotomy, disharmony. Why would you go to the dead to ask questions about life? Why would you go to somebody who is blind to describe colours to you? They're, they're just in the wrong space, aren't they? Going to the dead for information is at best curious because their existence is already in permanent darkness. So I've been trying to teach my boys this. I'm not sure if I've succeeded, but we are formed by what informs us. Where we go to get our learning, where we go to get our information, is what forms us into the person that we are. So if I go to darkness to get information, the information I get is going to turn me into a dark sort of person. If I go to light, I'm going to be turned into a light sort of person, a person that understands what's good and what's evil. These Israelites could not discern good from evil. They could not discern left from right. They were formed by who informs them. And who was informing them? It was the occult. Consulting spirits, mediums, inquiring of the dead. They were formed by what informs them. We've got to learn that big time. The things I take into my mind is going to shape my thinking and therefore shape my uh, thinking and therefore shape my behaviour. We are filled with violence and immorality on TV these days. For instance, when we pick up magazines, we pick up books, we watch shows that we know we shouldn't watch. And we are being formed by that. Misinformation can only result for those who seek light from darkness. Darkness cannot teach about light any more than a tone deaf person can teach about singing or a mute teach speech. Now um, the sound desk up there with Sam he has been very good because he turns this down when I'm singing. I can't teach you how to sing. You need to thank him on the way out because you don't know what you're missing out on. My wife comes up to me and goes like that. In Miller Church. Worse still, if I'm still singing, she'll take a step back if this room. I can't sing. So don't come to me for singing lessons. So why would you go to darkness to get answers for light? They received no correct answers. Their end could only be in the darkness. For darkness became their doctor, the place they sought healing. Darkness became their doctor. Now there's two places we can gain information from and we're going to start looking at this in February. I was going to start the series earlier but I thought I won't because there'll be a few people away. There are only two places we get our knowledge from. One's the tree of life and the other's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. These people are looking for healing and they're going to the tree of knowledge of good and evil because they're seeking darkness for, for healing. Now in the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve were told they could eat from any tree they like except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, wind your minds forward to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. They mirror. Genesis 1 and 2 are mirrored in Revelation 21 and 22. In fact, the first three chapters and the last three chapters are mirrors of each other. One pre-time, one post-time. Now, while I digress on this, there's two trees only we can eat from knowledge of life, sorry, the tree of life or the tree of knowledge. Now, in Revelation, there is no tree of knowledge. It's gone, Gauntski. There's only the tree of life. Now, the tree of life in Revelation 21 and 22 is described as, a tree, as the tree for the healing of the nations. And God paints this picture through, uh, through John the Apostle who took the vision down of the throne of grace and coming from the throne of grace is the river, the river of life, which is the Holy Spirit, flowing out endlessly from the throne of grace. Now, this is a really curious thing, which I can't fathom, but one day we will. Either side of that river that's flowing from the throne of grace, there is the tree of life. And it describes the tree of life and it says the tree of life is for the healing of the nations. The Israelites are looking to darkness for healing. But it's the tree of life that brings healing. Now, put your mind again back into Revelation 20, 21, 22. The tree of knowledge is destroyed. We can only eat from the tree of life in the new heavens and the new earth. And then we will be formed correctly because we will have been informed correctly. And we won't have evil teaching us how to live. So, what forms us is what informs us. And that's what the Israelites lived. They had distress. They look up, they blame God. They have wild eyes to the truth. These seekers of an ancient life coach scanned the earth and saw its troubles and lived its suffering. They received no correct answers. They could not because they are in darkness. They went to darkness as the place for healing. Yet God has not spoken, nor is he inactive in darkness. He has provided correct counsel even for those who would unfairly blame him. He is the life coach, who does not lie or deceive. From him alone pure light comes. There's a little quote I found. I don't even remember where I found it. When you blame others, the darkness only becomes thicker. You're moving into into a a thickness that's harder to escape because you're not accepting responsibility yourself. And I'll tell you this, guys, if you're a little bit younger than me, or a lot younger than me, There's a whole generation now that's playing the blame game. So if you're 25 or 30 or younger, listen to how you deal with problems. Do you deal with problems by blaming or accepting your responsibility for your role in that problem? That's just a little aside, a little cultural aside. We are now in a generation of blames. Darkness, God sees. Death, he knows. Christmas is the God of heaven bellowing into the darkness of life. There is the light. I am here. That's what Christmas is about. In a world of gloom, God is not absent. He's still here. Christ cries. Christmas cries. God has entered. There is now a life coach from light and not darkness on this earth. Jesus came to shine his light into the world's darkness. Have a look at verse 20. These spirits and mediums that matter. They do not speak of the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to his word, they have no light of dawn. They're not speaking God's ways, his law. They're not speaking God's things to testimony. They are not talking about that which is good and right. So therefore they have no light of dawn. It means they can't be teaching anything that's value. Verse 21: Distressed and hungry, the people, these people will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and look up toward their God and curse, and curse their king and their God. How often have you seen somebody shaking their fist at God? Or well, maybe even you have too. And God's getting the blame. For all the hard circumstances you're in. But those circumstances weren't from God. Because without God's word, the darkness hides the truth. But when Jesus is here, darkness can't hide the truth. So these people they look up with accusations and they blame God. But God's saying, don't go down these paths. Don't consult mediums. Don't consult spiritists. He's already told them that back in Deuteronomy, Numbers, Exodus. It's already there. But they are consulting those that can't help. Now, just imagine you're on a railroad track. And you walk down that railroad track. Now, this isn't rocket science. If you keep down walking down a railroad track, you're going to come a cropper. Although there are a stack of signs saying don't go on this track, you're going to come a cropper. you put yourself on the wrong track. God didn't tell you to go on the railway track. You decided that looks like a good railway track to walk for some bizarre reason. So you walk it. And then the train hits you and you blame God that the train hits you. Of course, if you, if you did walk down a railroad track you wouldn't even be able to blame God at the end of that one, would you? Can you see how the ruination comes to these people's lives? They blame God for being hit by a train. Proverbs 19.3 is a good verse, it's worth learning, a man's own folly ruins his life yet his heart persistently rages against the Lord, he's blaming the Lord. For the decisions he's made which were decisions that left God out verse 22 then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness they're not casting their eyes up high to look to heaven except maybe casting their, fish, their fists but they look down to the ground it's what the Israelites did all, all through the desert so they become quickly swallowed by death. They cannot discern good from evil and so look in darkness for light. That's where this world's going. It's what happened two years ago. Exactly two years ago. We're calling good evil and evil good. And anybody who wants to stand up called for good will be told that they are evil. Righteousness has been lost. There's many other sermons in that one. So God strongly warns them about the, about the fact that death awaits. They will be thrust into utter darkness. They've had the warning. Last week we talked about how, how easy the good Lord has written in the heavens the path to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not doing that to be difficult. He's doing that to be clear. And We think oh, it's a difficult path. We can't go down that. We'll, we'll take the easy path. The Lord's not hiding, he's shown us, he's given us a GPS to get to his, um, to his home. And if you're like, my, you're like me, you you're need a Gregory's. But some of you may know the difference. Guys, the Lord isn't hiding, he has made it really easy and these people can't see that. See, men in their pride confuse, refuse and muddy God's word. And it's the pride that makes me think that I can be the best interpreter of God's word. So, the boom from the gloom, 9 1 to 7. God is not hiding nor unaware of their problems, of their plight. God has given correct advice, even though he is roundly blamed. God hurts, God has to hurt because he radically acts to reverse Israel's fortunes. What's he do? Verse 1, Never, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress in the past. He humbled. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee from the Gentiles, of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan, because the people walking in darkness have seen a great life. Those living in the shadow of death a light has dawned. The light of the world is brought down to earth. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was the good Lord, God the Father, and my advice had become a train wreck, I don't think I'd be tempted to send my only son to earth to sort this train wreck out. I think I'd be more likely throw lightning bolts. why would you give up your only son for people that have already rejected you and continue to go on and do so do, do that. These people are in a mess they can only be in a mess in a mess because they are separated from God it's the only result you can get if you consult darkness if you consult medium-spiritists or anybody else that's not teaching from the law and the testimony. Jesus is the one who busts the gloom. He's the one that reverses mankind's futures and fortune. So Israel at this time is ruled by war. Distress and darkness comes when we're ruled by war. So God changes the rule of darkness into the light of the world and the prince of peace. Have you ever lived or worked with or known someone that doesn't seek peace, they actually seek war? People, Basil knows, some people actually disagree persistently. And the person that you know or your, your, your mates with or whatever the relationship, if they continue to disagree with you, they're looking for war. They're not looking for peace in a relationship. They're looking for, and of course, that, things can get a lot worse than that with people that disturb the peace. I don't like being around people that are peace disturbers. I've made it my, one of my goals in life is to avoid them with great deliberateness. Is there such a word as deliberateness? Sue? Oh, thank you. i got it right. Thank you, Sue. I only want peace around me. I want the prince of peace. So God sends into war-torn earth the prince of peace. It's got to be the best result, hasn't it? There can't be any other result that was going to be better than sending the prince, the ruler of peace. So rage and anger turns, uh, turns to peace because the new ruler is the prince of peace. If rage and anger turn to the new ruler, they are going to find peace. They won't rage and be angry any longer. Verse 6, right at the end of it. <clears throat> I'll read all of verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called... Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Hey, there's not many kings in this world or rulers of this world we can call that. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. God has not withheld anything at all that he owns to bring peace back to this world. He sent a wonderful counsellor. He sent a mighty God. He sent an everlasting father and a prince of peace to turn this world around. That's what Christmas is about. It's all going to happen, guys. Christ has been here once and God himself is the guarantor. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. Peace is going to be permanent. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. I'm going to do another little aside. Two years ago, I stood here and I talked about the pedestal of love. Someone lied to me. Tell me you remember. Oh, don't lie then. <laughs> Just means you get more, a longer sermon. You remember, do you? I say. Yes, good. Okay, well done, brother. Can you tell me what the pedestal, you can't tell me the pedestal of righteousness. (laughs) pedestal supports something, doesn't it? The pedestal of righteousness, sorry, the pedestal of love is righteousness. God's going to bring in a kingdom. He has brought in the kingdom, but it's not consummated yet that's upheld with justice and righteousness. It's not upheld with love. Because what we've done in this world, we've made love the measure of evil and good. And if it's got evil but it's love, it becomes good. You can't have unrighteousness and righteousness as bed partners. But what the world's done here, it's made immoral love and moral love as bed partners. Course, the only thing that matters is love. But that's not how God works. God rules by righteousness. So He's got underneath love, there's love, and underneath you've got this pedestal, this foundation of love, and it's righteousness, because there's righteous love and his unrighteous love. So when God is measuring that which is right, he measures it in terms of righteousness and justice. And that's throughout the Old Testament. And of course what Christ does for us, it's in the end of Isaiah. He comes and he clothes us in righteousness. White cloths, the metaphor. So we're clothed in righteousness. When the good Lord sees Jeff Taylor, he sees his son Jesus. Thank God for that. Because I'm clothed in Christ's righteousness and so are you. He hasn't clothed us in love. His fabric is love. God is love, 1 John 4. But his rule is in righteousness. There's a lot more to be said about that. Now, so he establishes the Prince of Peace with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. It's always going to be justice and righteousness when the Lord returns. And then he's got this tiny little line you can forget in a heartbeat. (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He's promised it's going to happen. It is all going to happen because God Himself is to guarantor. The zeal of the Lord will make sure that this happens. Hooray! I want to be in a place that is ruled by the Prince of Peace. Hooray, I want to be in a place that is built on righteousness. I want to be in a place where there is justice and not self-interest. I want to be in a place where there are nobody there, there is nobody at all that wants to war with me again. And it's going to happen because the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. God himself is its guarantor. So to tie it together, Christmas is God's righteous response to the blame he gets. It's not lightning bolts. It's the sun. Christmas comes to dispel the gloom. And at that first Christmas, can we have the last slide, thanks. At that first Christmas, it cost Jesus heaven. Thank God that it only costs us earth. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord. That you would do the unthinkable and the impossible that we may know you and love you and live with you forever lord help us to remember the times those intersections where we have choices to make that we will make those choices for righteousness sake and for the name of you to give you glory amen